Good morning. It's so great to see you here today. My name is Mike and I work with our students at the West Chicago campus. Every year our elder nominating committee asks church members and attenders to submit nominations for consideration as elder candidates. Today you can pick up an elder nomination sheet to review the qualifications for elders and get more details on the process and how to submit a nomination. If you're online, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter at wheatonbible.org newsletter to get details this week. Thank you for your help in this important part of church leadership. Next week, we're having a West Chicago campus prayer night. You're invited to join in as we thank God for all that he's been doing in our lives and pray for our ministries, leaders, and volunteers as we enter the next ministry season. It takes place next Sunday, August 29th at 6 p.m. We'll see you there. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Welcome. Psalm 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Let's join together this morning to proclaim that Jesus has become our salvation, that he indeed is our strength and the song of our life. Let's stand together.
Exalted 
take time as a congregation to confess our sin to God in order to put our hearts, our hearts in a right posture before our holy God. And 1 John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's take a few moments now in silence to confess our sin before the Lord. We are confident that through our faith in Christ, we can claim what 1 Peter says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Let's stand and continue our worship.
but the place that pain and sorrow are erased right here in the midst of these is just where God the Thank you, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Before the pastoral prayer, um, I wanted to share a video with you. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, I shared with you how the Lord gave me the blessing to go and participate in the mission trip that our high, school, uh, high schoolers did uh, almost like a month ago. And uh, we, wanted to, uh, we wanted you to see some of the things that happened during that trip. So please pay attention to the video. ministry and the youth group went to Memphis as a service mission. Doing uh, service projects and serving the community. We helped the homeless. We did Meals on Wheels and worked in a garden and we got to do some construction also. I think my favorite part of the Memphis mission trip was getting to go to Calvary Rescue Mission which is the homeless shelter. We got to first learn about the space and the church and the the area where the people were staying and where it all started. So we got to just serve them with like hearts that knew a, like a fragment of what they've come from. We made tostadas, so we made a really like Mexican dish. And I think it was cool because since our group is so mixed, it was just nice to expand everyone's like taste buds a little bit and just add a little spice into like the week. I think my favorite was gardening, probably. It was like fully run by volunteers, and it was in like the middle of one of like the biggest food deserts, um, I think in the nation. They grow a ton of different produce, and they had chickens and like eggs and stuff, and they would sell it for really cheap to the people in their neighborhood, and it was just like a huge blessing for everyone there. Memphis was a very eye-opening experience. Something that the Lord was teaching me was that just like the heart, like that you have to have when you go and to serve, and also like the openness that people have to the gospel. Like at first, you know, with Meals on Wheels, we'd ask to 
pray for the people that we were giving the food to. And at first I was kind of nervous to do that. And then the more we did it, the more I realized that people would, I think everyone that we talked to gave us a prayer request and we prayed right there with them. It was just like really interesting to see all the situations that everyone was going through um, and just how many people said that they would love for us to pray for them. I felt like the impact of the prayer, like every time we would pray, like I felt the impact in my heart, which carried out at home because I've been praying more. So it was just cool to see like everybody pray together. I'm really excited for more people to come to these trips because it was definitely worth it and it's an experience that if you don't go, you're missing out on a lot. And I feel like God is using these trips to make our group grow more and more every day. I came out of it like knowing so many people and I feel like it was such a blessing. Like, man, everybody knows each other here and then found out that they didn't know each other. So it was just crazy. I was like, they're just all meeting each other too. And they just like, we're a family. Yeah, I didn't know anyone going into this trip. Like, I knew my one friend and that was about it. And now I come home and my family's just like, who in the world? are you talking about? I've never met this person before. <laughs> and it's just really exciting that I have all these stories to tell and everyone else on this trip does too because it was just really a once in a lifetime experience. Wasn't that amazing? So there's a couple of things that I want to do this morning before preaching. Number one is, if you are a teenager and you fall in the category of a high schooler, this ministry is for you. You have to join the movement of what God is doing in our teenagers. Amen? Amen. Second, I want to ask you the question, why, do you know why is that this trip was possible? It was possible for three things. Number one, because of the generosity of the people of God. It is because many of you guys contributed to this trip that our students were able to go to Memphis and do what the Lord allowed them to do. Number one. So if that's true, I want to I wanna ask you to continue to support the church financially, uh, to continue to, uh, to support the church with your tithes and your offerings. If you want to join the movement of what God is doing, please continue to support the church financially. You could always go to WheatonBible.org slash give. You could give you offering as you leave the building. By the entrances, you're going to find some boxes in there. If not, you could always send your offerings uh, to the offices of the church. The second reason why this trip was, a, uh, you could say, was successful is because a ton of leaders, partners in ministry, decided to put time and energy into the life of our students and into this trip. Now, last week, I asked how many of you guys have spiritual gifts, and every single one of you raised your hand. So please become a ministry partner if you're not doing it just yet. There's so many areas in which you can serve in our church. And number three, the reason why this trip was done and was, uh, we were able to do it is because this is a group of people that believe that we are together in mission. So please join a group. In a few weeks, we're going to start rolling out some of our ministries. Please join a group. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we get to see how you work in your church and through your church. We are grateful, Lord, that we get to see the power of the gospel in action. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you have been doing in the lives of our teenagers, in specific, in the lives of our high schoolers. 
I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you continue to move in them and through them. I pray, Lord, that as we start this new ministry year, that ministry may flourish in amazing ways. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you continue to work in us and through us as generous people. That we give you and we give others our talents and abilities and our finances. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to live in this country. We are grateful, Lord, that we get to be free to hear the gospel and preach the gospel and worship you. Today, Lord, we remember places like Afghanistan that are going through crazy, awful things. Lord, I pray for your peace to that nation. I pray in the name of Jesus that you bring grace and mercy upon that nation. I pray for your church that is suffering persecution in that place right now. I pray, Lord, that you make us bold enough to live the way they're living over there, radically living for you. We pray for Haiti, Lord, as they're trying to deal with the things that they're going through. We also pray for your grace upon them. And we pray, Lord, for your grace upon us. As we continue to deal with the ramifications of a pandemic, as we continue to deal with internal problems in our country, as we continue to deal with so many different things, Lord, and we cannot forget that there's people in this room or worshiping with us online right now that are going through very painful, difficult things. Please be with them and show yourself to them. Now, please, Lord, allow us to see and understand and believe what the Bible says. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the church says? All right. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at church. And I got to say that whether you are here in person or you're worshiping with us online, you chose a really good Sunday to be here. And it's not just because I'm preaching, which is part of that, but that's not the only reason. Part of the reason why I think that this is a great Sunday for us to be together is because I'm answering a question that actually started last week. And the question is, how does the church, God's people, re-emerge from a very difficult time as the pandemic? How do we, as the church, re-emerge from a global catastrophe? And what we, what we started to do last week and we continue to do today is we're learning from the story of Noah, which was also a person that him and his family also re-emerged from a global catastrophe known as the flood. So last week we looked into Genesis chapter 6 through 8, some sections of it. And today we're going to be mainly looking into Genesis chapter 9, some sections of Genesis chapter 9. But for the reading of the scripture, we want to start in chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 20 to 21. And then we're going to read some sections of chapter 9. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. And if you are still part of the church, can you please say, I'm still part of the church. I was long, but it was good. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord, Genesis chapter 8, starting in verses 20 to 21. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, 
and never again I will destroy all living creatures as I have done. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Verse 3. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has God made mankind. Verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all the life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and I will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whatever I bring, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray one more time. Lord, we know that when we open up a scripture and we expose ourselves to the scripture, we know, Lord, that we are encountering and interacting with something that has no errors and is sufficient. Therefore, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, the the person uh, of the Spirit, Lord, we may be able to see, believe, understand, repent, and respond. Because we know that your word is sufficient. Please make it happen. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. You may take a seat. Most scholars, when they look at the story of Noah, describe this story as a new beginning or the story of a new age. And I actually think, I'm not the only person that actually thinks this, but I actually think that what we're going through and what we have gone through is also the beginning of a new age. It's the beginning of something new. I believe, and once again, I'm not the only one that speaks this way, but I believe that This pandemic has changed the world. It has changed societies. It has changed relationships. It has changed people. And it has changed the church. I mean, just look around. This pandemic has changed everything. And just like in the time of Noah, I believe, along with other people, that this is a new beginning. So when we look at the story of Noah, we have to learn from him what is it that he did or he embraced that allowed him to start all over again. And I would say that whatever he learned over there is the same thing that we need to learn today. What is it that is required for us to start all over again? And I know that it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but 
And I don't think that anybody can deny that this feels like a new season, new era. And from the text, we're going to see that there are three things that we need to start again, new beginnings. We need, um, I, forgot that. <laughs> I forgot that I had the screen here. Uh, we need a vision, a mandate, and a sign. We need a big picture of why is it that we're here and what the Lord is doing here. We need to understand what is it that the Lord has called us to be and do, and how is it that we're going to accomplish that. That will be point number three, the sign. Let's go with the first point. We need a vision. If there's one thing, and I'm going to be a little bit personal here, if there's one thing that I have learned during this last year and a half as a pastor, is that I have, to, that I have two main responsibilities when, the, when people go through difficult times. Number one, I got to help people see that there's beauty in the midst of brokenness. The first thing that I have been trying to do as a pastor is to teach the church that there's always beauty in the midst of brokenness. And the second thing is that we got to learn how to see beyond brokenness. That there's beauty in the midst of brokenness and that we could always see beyond brokenness. What do I mean by the first one of this? Beauty in the midst of brokenness is that if you really stop and pay attention, is that if you really, really stop and pay attention, you could always find in the midst of chaos evidences of God's grace. In the midst of pain, you can always find something that God is doing, how God is moving, how God is working. All we have to do is to stop and see and find beautiful things in ugly places. And when I say that we got to learn how to see beyond our brokenness, is that we got to keep in mind that God has made promises and he's got plans and he will accomplish those plans. This, view, this vision of beauty in the midst of brokenness and learning how to see beyond brokenness is what we see the Lord doing with Noah in the midst of the flood. How do I know that? Well, look at chapter uh, 8, verse 21, in which the Lord says, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Notice the phrase, never again. It, it's almost like if the Lord is saying to Noah and his family, never again, the earth is going to experience something like this again. Pay attention to that phrase because the Lord is saying to Noah that never again the earth is going to be cursed that way. And that he's got a different mentality and a different plan. That he's not in the business of cursing this earth, but he's got different plans for it. This becomes even more clear in chapter 9 verse 11. When it says, I establish my covenant with you, never again will all the life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Notice that there's a connection in the text between the word never again and covenant. And notice that God says to Noah, because I am making a covenant with you and your family, which we talked about last week, I'm also making a covenant with this world. In other words, God says to Noah, I am for this creation. I am for this creation. Now, I want you to pay attention to the word 
establish. Because that's a really important word in the text. The word establish has actually have a double meaning. It could be translated as to start or to create or to begin something. And that's why scholars would argue that the story of Noah is the story of new beginnings. It's, see, see, in the narrative of the Bible, we see that God started everything in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. And now, in Genesis chapter 9, God is using a very similar expression with the word establish. What is interesting, though, is that the second definition of the word to endure, uh, of the word to establish, is to endure. Now, that's kind of weird because you would say, why is it that God needs to endure anything? Well, I think that this is what the Lord was telling Noah. Not only am I starting something new, and this is the beginning of a new age, but I'm going to endure because I'm making a commitment to this creation, and I'm so committed to this creation that I will not rest until this creation becomes what I wanted it to become right from the beginning. It is the Lord telling Noah that he's so committed to us and this creation that God will not rest until this creation becomes what it's supposed to become. And this is why the word rainbow is so important. See, the concept of rainbow in the Bible actually has three different definitions. And I'm going to give you the first one here, and if the Lord allows it, I'm, I'm still alive and you're still awake. By the end of the sermon, I'll give you the other two definitions. The word rainbow in the Bible, as I said, there's different definitions, but one of the definitions we find about the word rainbow, we find it in Revelation chapter 10. Um... It says, then I saw another mighty angel. He was, ro- he was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. Now, the context of that text is extremely important in order for us to understand why the rainbow is so important. In the context of, of the book of Revelations, this image right here of the rainbow in the sky is talking about the final consummation of the entire creation. The book of Revelation is this picture of what God would eventually do in all creation. In the context of this text, God is promising that one day he's going to make all heavens new and all earth new. In the context of this text, he's promising that one day this creation will be completely restored and everything will be comp- uh, and there will be complete reconciliation of all things. In the context of this text, God is promising that one day the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and that we will all be part of the city of God. So when you look at the rainbow, it's a promise of restoration. When God gave Noah the rainbow, he's saying, not only I'm never going to destroy the earth again, the way judgment in that way, but I'm committed, but I'm committed to it. And I will do everything that I have to do in this creation so it becomes what it's supposed to become. I promise full restoration. And every time, Noah, you see that rainbow, you have to remember that. Did you know that that promise that was made to Noah 
is the same promise that we inherited as believers. That promise of the full restoration of all things is the same promise that the Lord made to us the moment we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That promise was transferred to us. Listen up, church. The way we reemerge from a pandemic or global chaos is that we remember that in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of suffering and pain, God is so committed to this creation that if you really pay attention, you can always find beauty in broken places. You can always see the Lord doing something somewhere. All you have to do is pay attention. And not only that, but if we have inherited that promise, we also know that everything that we're going through is preparing us for what is yet to come. And everything we have been going through for the last year and a half, listen up, church. One day, in the story of redemption, everything that we have gone through will be nothing but a footnote in the history of the world. See, when the Lord restores everything, we will go back and say, I'm sorry, what pandemic? I'm sorry, what? I've been following an artist um, that goes by, by the name of Nightbird. And it's this young lady that in 2017 received a, a, received a diagnosis that she had breast cancer and that she had six months to live. By 2018, by God's grace, she was declared cancer-free. But a few months later, cancer came back, and during this season, her husband of five years walked away from her. By 2020, she was declared cancer-free, again. In the middle of 2020, cancer came back, and now in her lungs and spine and liver. And during this last season of her life, she wrote a song. She went and sang it before American Idol, I believe it was. She wrote a song called, It's Okay. And you don't really understand what she means by the song, It's Okay, unless you read her writings and her blog. And she's the perfect example of someone that knows how to live, finding beauty in the midst of brokenness. Look at what she says. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness, he adds light. He doesn't spur me, of, spur me of thirst, he brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness, he comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? Finding beauty in the midst of brokenness, that's the vision. God is always doing something. God is always accomplishing something, always beauty in the midst of brokenness. Not only she can teach us something about that, but she can also teach us something about learning to see beyond brokenness. See, she says that the reason why she gave herself the artistic name of Night Bird is because she dreamed about birds singing in darkness for three straight nights. And this is what she says. 
I want to be that way. Even when I am in the middle of a dark time and there are no signs that it will end, I want to be the bird that sings in anticipation for the good things that I trust are coming. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Singing in anticipation for what the Lord is going to bring. That's how you reemerge. You see beauty and find beauty in the midst of brokenness, evidences of God's grace. And you learn to see beyond. How are you doing in those areas? Can you do that? Look at point number two. New beginnings require also a mandate. Now, this is interesting because I want you to see Noah's behavior as soon as he came out of the ark. Chapter 20, verse 20. Chapter 8, verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the, some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, most scholars would agree that when Noah is doing this, he is showing gratitude to the Lord. He's showing that he's committed to the Lord, and he's consecrating himself to the Lord. It's almost like if Noah, because of the uh, grace he experienced, the first thing he does is he worships the Lord and says, I am yours, and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Now, look at what the Lord tells him in response to this. Look at verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And now look in verse 3. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. And just in case Noah missed it, he repeats the same thing that he said in verse 1. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. Now, notice that this is the same mandate that we first read when everything started in Genesis chapter 1. Everything the Lord said to Adam and Eve about being fruitful and increase and multiply and increase, the same thing that he told Adam and Eve is the same thing that he tells Noah and his family. And this verse right here is very important to us because it tells us how is it that the Lord is going to restore all things in this creation? Notice that the way the Lord is going to restore all things in this creation takes into consideration the church. Notice how the Lord is going to bring restoration of all things is partly through his church. How is it that we're going to do that? Well, this little sentence right here has at least three different meanings, and I think that every single one of them is extremely important. Notice that he blesses Noah. You know what that means? This is God calling Noah to worship him, worship God, through everything he does. He blesses him and then he sends them out. Not only he, he blesses them and sends them out so he could worship him in the midst of everything and through everything, 
But then he, calls, he gives him something that theologians call the cultural mandate, which is to be fruitful and to increase in number and to multiply, meaning that as believers, we go into the world to worship the Lord through everything we do and to cultivate it and to work and to transform it and to take care of it and to contribute to what the Lord is doing, bringing heaven to earth. And this also means that when we go into the world, we represent him. We reflect him. Why? Because we have been created in his image. Church, I find this so amazing and so challenging. Because the Lord redeems people and restores people not so they could live in isolation, you know? Not so they could run away from the world and everything that is sinful. He redeems people and restores people, and he sends them out into the world to represent him, to reflect him, to create, to contribute, to worship him through everything we do. That's why the church is so important. That's why it matters that you as Christians and I as a Christian live this out. You know, I don't know if you have been, uh, or you follow the Olympics, you know, the first season of the Olympics. Um, and uh, my wife and I love gymnastics. And part of the reason is because like 50 years ago, I tried to be a gymnast. But as I'm looking at this, um, I remember an illustration that Francis Chan gave about how some Christians live. So he says he imagines a person, a believer, and, uh, uh, and what is called the balance beam. You know which one is that, right? And he imagines the person getting on the balance beam and doing this thing. And then grabbing onto it and moving this thing, right? And being careful that they don't get hurt and doing this thing, right? And then trying to look cool, but, you know, don't, don't do too much because doing this thing. But then the person gets off the bean, and the person goes. <laughs> and you're like, what? And he says, that's exactly how many Christians live. Church. We are pandemic survivors by the grace of God. I know that was loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> by the grace of God. And we ought to be prudent and we ought to be wise, but we must be in the world without being of the world. And we must go out because everything we do has eternal significance. This is part of the reason why your students went on this trip. Because everything we do has eternal significance. Every prayer they made, every meal they prepared, every meal they served, every wall they painted, every conversation they had, every plant they planted has eternal significance. Everything we do as the church, that's what it means to reemerge. Everything we do as the church is for the glory of God and the common good of others. 
Everything we do as a church is because we are contributing to what the rainbow, what the rainbow reminds us of, that God is making all things new, and we are part of that. Everything we do as a church is important. Now, I don't want you to miss this because God calls Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and increase in number in verse 1. In verse 7, he repeats the same thing, but right in the middle, he shows us why all of these matters. Chapter 9, verse 5. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds a human blood, and by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. You know what that means? That the reason why we are called to do this is because people matter. Because souls matter. Because people are being created in the image of God. Did you know that the image of God, even though it's broken and distorted because of sin, is the one thing that you never lose? It doesn't matter how much you've done. It doesn't matter how much people have struggled and sinned. The one thing you never lose is the image of God in you. This is why John Calvin, when he's calling the church to respond to this, he says this. Because people have been created in the image of God, we owe all honor and love. Whatever man or woman you meet who needs your aid, you have no reason to refuse it, to refuse to help him or her. The image of God which recommends him or her to you is worthy of your giving yourself and all your possessions. And then he says this. We remember not to consider men's evil intentions, but to look upon the image of God in them. And with this beauty and dignity allures us to love and embrace them. This is why we're still here, people. This is why we are pandemic survivors, church. So we learn to see people like that. And we contribute to what the Lord is already doing. This week I stumbled upon the story about this famous writer that says that I would like to believe in God, but I just can't. And the reason why he says that he cannot believe in God is because when he was a nine-year-old kid, some other kid beat him up. And when he went home crying to his father, this is how the father responded. Fight that boy or fight me. And he said that that was a godless behavior, godless response. And he started to believe that there's no justice in this world because of the way a father responded. And then he says that another reason why he cannot believe in God is because when he was 12, six boys threw him to the ground and stomped on his head. And this is what he says. What struck me the most that afternoon was, that afternoon was not those boys, but the godless heathen adults walking by. Down there on the ground, my head was literally being kicked in. I understood, and I understood that no one not my father, 
not people, not the cops, and certainly not anyone's God was coming to save. As I was uh, thinking about this man, I realized that he was not rejecting, that he was rejecting a God, but he was not rejecting the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is the God that created human beings, created in his image. And that he loves his creation and his people so much that he, don't, he doesn't know how to love from afar, you know? That he comes in Jesus Christ and enters our, our broken world. And he cries for us and he cries with us and he experiences what we have experienced. And he goes to the cross in Jesus Christ to save and redeem people created in his image. And then he sends those redeemed to love, serve, and sacrifice for others created in the image of God. The God he rejected is not the God of the Bible. We are all living in a mission strip in the making. We are all part of this amazing mission strip that is seeking the reconciliation and transformation of all things. So here's the question. Can we live that way? Well, let me change the question a little bit. What motivates and empowers a person that wants to live like that? Number three, we need a sign. This is what chapter 9, verse 12 says. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Remember how I told you that the rainbow had three different meanings? And the first meaning was that God is a God that promised restoration. The second two meanings of the word rainbow, the sign of the rainbow, the sign of the covenant, is that God brings judgment and that there's always a new beginning. Why do I say that the rainbow means judgment? And I'm borrowing this from Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon. You know the word rainbow in Hebrew, in that text, is actually the word bow. Not the word rainbow, but the word bow. And that word appears about 75 times in the Old Testament. In every single one of those times, that bow is talking about the judgment of God, the wrath of God displayed on behalf of sinful people. But this is what Charles Spurgeon argued, and I think he was right. That if you notice the rainbow, it's upside down. So the arrows of that, of that bow are not pointing down on us, but it's pointing up. And if you believe the gospel, and if you believe that the story of redemption is all about Jesus, then you have to make a connection between that rainbow of judgment, that bow of judgment, and what Jesus came to accomplish at the cross. This is what Spurgeon argues. The bow, the, the arrow of the wrath of God did not come down on us because he went straight to his heart. 
You know what motivates people and empowers people to want to live the life that the Lord has called us to do or to live? Because we know that we were just as sinful as the people in Noah's time. We know that the inclinations of our hearts are just as sinful as the people in the time of Noah. And we also know that God, instead of giving us this punishment that we all deserve, the flood we all deserve, he takes the punishment. He goes underwater. He drowns on our behalf. So we can reemerge. Do you know why God did that for you? Church, because he saw beauty in broken places. Because he saw you beyond your sin and your struggle. Because God saw you in Jesus Christ. If that is true for us, why wouldn't, why wouldn't we want to live for him? If God did that for us, why wouldn't we want to contribute to what the Lord is doing? If that is what God did for us, why wouldn't we want others to experience that thing? See, there you find the motivation and the power for us to live the way we're supposed to live. See, as Christians, we are free from the condemnation of sin, so we can be free to love him and love others. And the rainbow also means new beginnings. You notice that in the text, the rainbow is called the sign of the covenant. Did you know that there's another sign in the Old Testament that is connected to that sign? It's also called the sign of the covenant, which is the circumcision, which I'm not going to explain for obvious reasons. But it's kind of the same principle. Here in the rainbow, God is saying, I'm for you and this creation. And the sign of the circumcision, God says to his people, Every time you see this scar, remember that I'm for you. Remember that you are new. Remember that I purchased you. Remember that I called you and you are mine. Did you know that the New Testament has another sign that is connected to the rainbow, to the circumcision? But it's the sign of baptism, which is also a sign, a covenant sign. And for Christians... When we get baptized, we remember that in Jesus Christ we have been redeemed and purchased and that we belong to him. This is for one of the reasons why in church history, one of the things that the church has used to help people grow in their relationship with God is to remind them that they were baptized. If that's your case, what motivates you and empowers you to live for God and to love people is that you remember that you also had a new beginning. That you died and resurrected with Jesus. That you are no longer the same person. That there's no condemnation of sin and we are not slaves to the power of sin. That it is possible to live for the Lord that it is possible to repent as many times as we have to. That it is possible to go into the world without fear. That it is possible to open our hearts and our homes to other people. 
That it is possible to see your job and your calling and your vocation as everything that the Lord is using for his glory and his purposes. That it is possible for us to go into the world and be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That it is possible that we worship the Lord through everything we do. It is possible. There's a book, secular book called Dominion. And it's this scholar, secular scholar, arguing that all the values, ethical values we have in the United States today and all ethical values that we have in the world today come from Christianity. Do you know why? Because historically, the church has also, have always lived in there, out there, without being part of that. In the world, but not of the world. May the Lord grant us to live like that. May a whole generation of new Christians grow in this church that actually live that, like that. Amen? Let's pray. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful and beautiful Savior. Lord, you saved us from something for something. You redeemed us and restored us from something to something. Lord, I know that it's easy in the midst of suffering and a pandemic to think that the best way to live is to live for ourselves and to play it safe. But I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make of us people that live out this culture and mandate. That we worship you in everything we do. That we proclaim the good news of the gospel and we demonstrate the power of the gospel through the deeds we do. That we see in the image of God in others, Lord, and find beauty in the midst of brokenness the same way you found beauty in the midst of our brokenness. And that we learn to see that in the midst of everything, you are doing something and you will accomplish your plans. Help us contribute to that. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? Let's stand together to respond to God's word. Say
see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen. Isn't that a beautiful way to finish our service? I want to ask you to take a seat for a second. Now, I know that most of you know that school started already for some of our students two weeks ago, and some students actually starting, started last week, and some students started studying this week. I want to argue that what we talked about today applies to our students. They are being sent into the world by the church and by God to be agents of restoration, amen? To contribute to what the Lord is doing. So if you are a student of any age, from pre-K all the way to PhD program, could you please stand if you are a student? Yeah, go ahead. There you go, there you go, nice, nice. Awesome. If you are a teacher, could you please stand? No, no, you guys stay up, stay up, stay up. Could you please, if you are a teacher or a administrator or somehow is involved in some sort of a school system. There you go, look around. Now as a church, we wanna pray for you and we wanna send you out. Could you please pray with me? Lord. Look at these students, look at these teachers, look at these administrators, look, Lord, this group of people that you have placed in those schools. 
I pray, Lord, for your protection upon them. I pray, Lord, that you bless them. I pray, Lord, that you use them in mighty ways. I pray, Lord, that they may represent you and reflect you. I pray, Lord, that you use their gifts, talents, abilities, and personality to point people to you and to contribute to what you are doing in this creation. We are commissioning these missionaries in the world. And we pray for all of this. And the church says, now can you please the rest of the congregation stand and let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, we love you. Have a blessed day. Thanks for coming.